Hello, this is James Taylor from Write Your Own Story. Firstly, welcome to this podcast. I'm a hypnotherapist, a counsellor and a life coach. And the aim of this podcast is to give you some tips, tricks and tools so you can start to evolve and change and become a better version of who you are naturally whilst letting go of some of the things that have been holding you back. So I really do hope you enjoy the podcast. Feel free to like and subscribe and let's get on with it. In this episode, I'd like to talk about what happens in a therapy session because sometimes there can be a little bit of confusion, a bit of misunderstanding, a bit of naivety about what actually happens in therapy. So let's have a talk about that. Now, when you think about what may happen in a therapy session, what images conjured up in your mind? Is the therapist sitting there in a pair of cords and sandals with socks, not really saying very much? Maybe with a beard like Sigmund Freud? Or is the therapist something else, something different? What image comes into your mind? Because probably, unless you've been to therapy already, you might have an incorrect view of what therapy is actually like. So I want to talk about this because I think we're all on a scale somewhere where our mental health is impacted, either for the better or for the worse. I don't think it's a case of just one person, you're the kind of person who needs therapy and you're the kind of person who doesn't. I think we're all on a sliding scale and sometimes things are okay and sometimes things are not. So in this episode, I want to talk about what to expect if you were ever to go to therapy. And for those who've been to therapy already, this will probably make a lot of sense. And it'll be a reminder of hopefully what it was like for you. Now, therapy, of course, these days can be either in person or it can be online. I was seeing people both before COVID and then COVID struck and I went strictly online. And I've stayed online as a therapist and I found it works fantastic. It works for a few reasons. It works for me because I don't have to commute anywhere. And I have, well, I have about a 10 second commute because I work from home. But it also works with the clients because they don't have to commute anywhere. They don't have to get in the car or a train, make the way across town, find a parking space, find the office, go in a situation that's unfamiliar to them, maybe be a bit apprehensive anyway, and then see whether the therapist is the right person for them. They may get upset in therapy, then they've got to leave, make their way back to the car or the train station with all these thoughts and feelings going on and then take themselves home. With online therapy, it's like I'm coming to their front door and they don't even have to leave the house to get some help. So that's a big one. And I think online therapy really has its place now, although some people prefer one-to-one. So the way I'm going to talk is about both scenarios, both online and in person because there are some differences so let's go more into this now with online therapy of course you're going to be doing this from the comfort of your own home now you'd only be able to see possibly from the chest upwards of their therapist and likewise that's all the therapist will be able to see of you from chest upwards so when you're doing this have a think about if this was something you were interested in finding a location in your home where you're not going to be disturbed, where you've got privacy to talk, that your device is charged, that also you've got your notifications turned off. This is your time for you. And it's really important that you really embrace this and accept that, you know, 
the world can just wait for a moment. I'm having my therapy session. So that's one consideration if you're looking for online therapy. Now with in-person therapy, I think to perhaps be aware of or think about for the future is, okay, where if I was going to drive there, is there, a, is there parking at the agency or the centre itself? If not, is there parking nearby? Do either do I have to pay for when I get to the office? Where do I need to go? What bell do I need to ring? Because sometimes councillors will rent an office in a building and as you're standing at the front door, there might be a load of bells and you think, oh, I don't know which one to press. So is it a case of the bell is clearly marked or you go into reception and you say, I'm here to see so-and-so. So that's another consideration of going. Now on a first therapy session, there's a probability that you may have had a chat or a consultation on the phone beforehand, but this might be the first time that you're meeting. Now this is both online or in person. So I want to talk about, I want to merge those two things together because generally the first session is the same whether it's online or in person. What will generally happen is the therapist will be asking you lots of details about you. So that will be your name, your address, your date of birth, any medical conditions that they need to know about, any health conditions that they need to know about, a next of kin, a point of contact. They'll also be talking about confidentiality and how everything that happens in therapy is confidential, but there are certain exceptions where confidentiality may need to be breached, but they're all very, very rare. And if you were going to see a therapist, they would explain what those reasons are. So I won't go into them here and now. Now, as the therapy sessions progress, and more so from the first session, the therapist is probably going to ask a lot of questions, do a lot of listening, do a lot of clarifying to make sure that they understand it properly. There's also going to be certain criteria where, this is more for the in-person therapist, there might be a conversation such as, if we were to meet in the street, how would you like that situation to be addressed? Would you want us to pretend we don't know each other? Would you want us to say hello? How would you like it as the client? How would you like that to be? Now, really, when you've got the admin out the way, the next of kin, the date of birth, the phone, the contact phone numbers, this kind of stuff, when the therapy really starts is when the therapist is able to listen to what you're saying, they're trying to make sense of it themselves. Think about it is, imagine if you had a jigsaw and you don't know any of the pieces. You don't even know what the picture of the jigsaw is like. But the client has got all the jigsaw pieces. Now, maybe the client knows only what some of those pieces look like, but you haven't got a clue. So the idea is, is that as the client is disclosing things to a therapist, the therapist is trying to make the jigsaw so things are clearer to them. So this is why there's lots of clarifying questions in therapy. But it's all very collaborative. That's the benefit of it. It's all very collaborative. There's real power in when a client says something and they hear themselves say it. And I don't know whether you've ever done this before, where something's been on your mind and then you've verbalised it. And by the time you've finished saying it, you figure it out. Have you ever done that? I've done that loads of times. And no one else has to say anything. I just have to hear myself say it. Now, not every session needs to be talking about your past but some of it may be relevant. 
Because as we're born, you see, we're a blank canvas. And then things start to be put on that canvas. I remember very young, we have a complete inability to object to what is put on that canvas. So this will be things like things that you hear, things that you see, things that you experience, advice, emotions, lessons, all these things are put on your canvas. Now, if you're fortunate, the people who are putting things on the canvas are very aware of this and they consider it. And they're making sure that the things that they want to put on the canvas are put on and some of the things are not. Now, on the flip side of that, sometimes there is no care or consideration about what is put on the canvas. I'll give you an example. I was at a supermarket recently. And I was walking down this aisle and there was a woman with a small child in a shopping trolley. And the woman was on the phone to someone else talking about the child in front of the child. And I was walking past just minding my own business. But she was talking quite loud. Now she was saying quite derogatory things about her child who was about two years of age. And she was swearing a lot. I won't say the words, but if I say she was C-bombing, hopefully that makes sense. And I was amazed at this. That not only was she talking like this in front of her child, the fact she was doing it in public and quite loud and didn't really seem to care. And I seemed to have no filter about this child is hearing those words. Now, I don't know whether the child was able to understand everything that their mother was saying. But if that's how the mother talks, about that child, in front of that child, there's a strong possibility that child's going to grow up with a poor belief about themselves, or about their ability, or about their behaviour. So I'm big on language patterns, and I just carried on with my shopping, and I thought, what a shocking way for anyone to speak about their child. So that mother was putting stuff on that child's canvas, potentially, without even knowing it. So in therapy, We look at, and I know I'm harping on about this canvas, I'm just using this as a way to explain myself. But in therapy, we look at this canvas, what things are on it. The things that have been painted on there, they have to stay there. Can we examine them a little bit? Or maybe some things that are on the canvas shouldn't be there. Can we paint over them? Can we remove the paint? Can we put something better on there instead? And this can take a series of sessions when we're doing this we're looking at different areas of someone's life so it could be the past it could be the present let me give you an example to make this hope this makes sense imagine a child who's had a very poor upbringing and they've been told they're no good and they've been told they're not worthy and don't expect too much and you're just like your mum you're just like your dad you're no good this kind of stuff well that child grows up with that belief pattern when they go into relationships themselves a part of them may be okay with accepting second best because they've been told their entire life they're not worth anything do you see the harm that can be done because for that child becomes the adult and then goes into a relationship like this they're going to tolerate things that they shouldn't tolerate now if they go on to have children they may inadvertently pass on the same lessons Because they were told it by their mum. 
using this example. These things can be like links of a chain. And I think it's important to identify what the links of the chain are. And then, if we can, let's cut through them. Let's not add more links to this chain. Let's sever the chain. So that's what therapy can be like. It can be difficult at times. Because if it was easy, the clients would have sourced out themselves by now. And sometimes just going to speak to a professional can really help get some clarity over these things that are holding them back. And it's huge. And it's also life-changing. So, some things that might crop up, there might be anger. There might be sadness. There might be fear. There might be justification. There might be remorse. A whole range of different emotions can come up. The best ones are the light bulb moments. Because when a client has a light bulb moment, something inside them changes. And they will never go back to being that previous version. Because this light bulb is now illuminating something that was once very dark. So I think therapy is fantastic. So I hope this episode has helped us to what therapy might be like. Now, if therapy is something that you've been on the fence for, you're not too sure whether you want to do it or not, whether there's a friend of yours who you think, actually, I think you'd benefit from therapy, this is easily resolved. If you think I might be a good fit, get in touch. In the description, I will put a link, which is for a free 30-minute consultation. And it's no obligation. And that way we have a chat and we see whether we're a good fit. And if we are, we get in a date in a diary and start working together. Or if you're looking for a therapist just in general, check out things like their website. Does it look professional? Their qualifications, their reviews. Check them out online on social media. Check them out on Google. Do they have reviews on Google? What do those reviews say? If this is important, and I would also recommend with any therapist that you go and see, have a consultation with them first. You see, you're going to have to bond with the therapist and you don't really know them and they don't really know you. So it's like a new relationship, a therapeutic relationship is being formed and that can be incredibly powerful if it's the right fit. So it's important that you check out and you're comfortable and the therapist is comfortable with you. Otherwise, there's a bit of a mismatch and that isn't very helpful at all. So I hope this has helped. I will see you on the next episode. This is James from Write Your Own Story. Bye-bye.